So, I've been looking forward to talking about this one for a while. It's actually been quite a while since I've seen Square of Gothos. So, this is kind of fun to go back through. Written by Paul Schneider, the gentleman who brought us Balance of Terror. And directed by Don McDougal? Dougal? Doesn't matter, because he doesn't direct any other Star Trek. Although, he was a director on Mission Impossible. That theory is getting stronger the more I go through this. This also introduced DeSalle to the crew. He's the random dude who's an idiot in this episode. He also uh, is in uh, This Side of Paradise and Cat's Paw. And, of course, two other landmark moments. First of all, we have William Campbell, who plays Trelane, obviously. He would later play Koloth, and he would then reiterate playing Koloth over on Deep Space Nine, which is just interesting in its own right. And we also have Warp 3. Oh, my God. I don't know if they can handle going that fast, guys. This is a little bit too much for me. I'm going to have to slow down. Dumb jokes aside, this episode... Well, let's just jump into it. McCoy and Spock have their own little bickering thing, which is starting to become more and more a thing. And then they... Oh, my God, there's a planet here. How weird. It's... Oh, and, and then Sulu's vanished. And then Kirk has vanished. It's so strange. Okay. Let's trigger and figure out what's going on. Let's scan the planet. The planet is horrifically toxic. At the end of the episode, the parents mentioned that they won't allow Trelane to make any more planets. Now, if you... Now I don't actually know geology all that well or the construction of planets, but I'm curious. If you were to just artificially make a planet with no understanding of how to do that, just smashing a bunch of rock together, I kind of wonder if this is what it would look like, you know horrifically toxic gas escaping from vents everywhere as the planet is constantly in a massive state of upheaval, horrific storms because the atmosphere can't stabilize, and lava spouting everywhere. I mean, it sounds logical to me, but again, I don't actually know. If anybody out there knows, please feel free to share. I just, I just thought it was something interesting, because it feels like that was the intent of that. So, they beam down into the safe zone, and there's the salt vampire... And then we see, well, let's just jump right into it, Trelane. Trelane is ridiculous, but polite. Weirdly affable. I want you to remember that, okay? It's really critical to this episode. William Campbell, who plays uh, Trelane, as I just mentioned, nails it. He really does. He absolutely nails the role. Um, he also insisted on doing the best performance he possibly could, in fact, there's a rather famous story that I've seen in basically everything. It's in this book, it's in that book, and it's in uh, another book, which I don't actually have present, but I saw a reference to. There's this thing where he mentions that he had he wanted a wig for the for a certain scene. It was for the English, um, the trial scene when he's the English judge. They gave him the wrong wig, and he looked at this like this is this is the wrong wig. And people are like, dude, just chill, especially William Shatner, who just who wanted to get on with it. Remember, they were behind on shoot schedule in many ways, and budgets were really a thing at this point in time. As they, I guess they always are. Has there ever been a Star Trek show where there hasn't been budget issues? I'm not sure there has. I've never covered one. So unless some of the new stuff doesn't have budget issues. Anyways, <clears throat> so he wanted the right rig. Shatner's point was, what does it freaking matter? Dude, no one's going to see it. It's not a big deal. And he was like, no, this is my performance. I want to do the best performance I can. Give me the proper wig. And they, there was some haggling and hanging, haranguing, and they pushed it to the director, McDougal, who was like, I, dude, I'm, I'm just here until I go back to do my Mission Impossible stuff. So they actually pushed it up to Kuhn, 
you know, the producer I've been referencing a lot. Kuhn looked at the wig and said, yeah, get him a new wig. Just immediately capitulated on the matter. Pushing back the shoot quite a bit, but it gets across two very interesting points to me. Three, actually. First, William Campbell cared enough to put the best performance he possibly could, which I think really shows in the actual final episode. Two, William Shatner had enough influence on the set to basically be a second director, in fact, effectively overwriting the director and other actors. And three, this was all just a load of nothing that didn't have to be anything. They could have just immediately gone and gotten him a new wig, and there would have been no issue. If I might be so bold, in the realm of speculation, I think this was Shatner just kind of flexing a little bit. Just like, nah, nobody cares about you or your character, so, you know, just, just screw it. And given what Shatner would eventually go through, basically culminating in Star Trek V, that actually seems to be the general case. I have said a lot of praise for William Shatner. I think he can can be a decent actor, and I think he can be a decent writer. But I think that, more importantly, he actually acknowledged how screwed up he was and tried to, this is important, and tried to be a better person. Now, that's a key and critical component. It's one of the things that makes us human is that we screw up and then we try to be better, or at least we can try to be better. Um, and I bring this up because... By all accounts, William Shatner was not a very pleasant person prior to that particular overheaval, which happened after Star Trek V. Uh, yeah, that was a heck of a slap in the face, and then he interviewed all his fellow cast members. I'm sure you've seen it. Them telling him to his face how terrible he was. He himself mentions it was a huge eye-opener that he just never realized just how unpleasant he actually was. I'm not sure I believe that part, but again, the man made the effort to change. Unfortunately, for historical perspective, that means at this point in history, he still needed to change, which means he was still doing the ego driving. Now, I'm not just bringing this up to smash William Shatner. It's not the intent. I am, however, bringing it up because it's going to be more and more important as we continue to develop this background narrative of the behind-the-scenes perspective leading into Season 2. So I just want you all to be kind of familiar with how things were on the set. Either way, William Campbell is Trelane, and he is awesome and polite, weirdly, weirdly affable. Like I said, it's not until Kirk demands to be let go that he says anything obstinate whatsoever. No, 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 not at all. I've got things to do, and I've, I've got, to, I've, you've got to stay. Come on, at least until we're done. And and he mentions an experiment, and he also mentions playing. And based on what he talks about with his parents, there's some line up here. So, either way, this is the first time there's anything obstinate from him at all. By the way, special praise to the props department setting up that set. You can tell it's a it's a smashed-together set, but they do some really good job with the props to make it look like an actual area, and I just wanted to give actual praise there because, holy crap, I am impressed. Anyways. <clears throat> so then Desal decides to be a complete moron. Trelane is looking in a mirror. Desal sneaks up behind him. Do I need to connect two and two for you? Because apparently DeSalle couldn't connect two and two. God, what an idiot. This is when Trelane's like, okay, let me explain how I do all this. Matter, energy, matter. So they, they kind of break it down a little bit simplistically, but this is important for two very big reasons. First of all, it gets along to the audience exactly how his powers work. In short, he is just us, but more advanced. You know, we already have transporters, 
Well, what they do is another few steps past, what Trelane's people do is another few steps past that. Now, we're going to have to go on a little bit of a circuit here to explain the other point. When a counter at Farpoint was being written, I actually have already covered a counter at Farpoint, but very brief, they were short. They needed to flesh it out. Roddenberry sat down, he wrote Q. Everyone told him this is a terrible idea. Oh my god, what are you doing, dude? It's just Trelane. Note Trelane, not any other characters. I'll be bringing that up in a minute, too. Anyway, so it's just Trelane, dude. We can't just do Trelane again. And Ron Bear's like, no, look, we got to make this happen. And lo and behold, Q became Q, a major part of Star Trek mythos. As I asked back in the day, a huge amount of you preferred the Q plot over the Encounter at Farpoint plot of, the, of that episode, or those episodes, however you want to think of that. So... Definitely had more, I mean, in, in frankness, the Farpoint station state, uh, plot had no relevance on anything and never came up again. Q would come back many times across three shows, at least as of this recording. So, what's the relevance there? Well, one of the theories that's been bouncing around Trectum for at least since I was in high school, was the idea that the Q are really advanced, not alien super beings. Now, to clarify that a little bit, we have alien super beings within Trek. It's godlike aliens, you know, to quote John Crichton. But we also have aliens that have very advanced technology. And those two things are two distinct categories. Now, you could quote Whatchafig's Law, I forget what it is, Clark's Law or whatever, as much as you want, but that's a load of hooey because there's a difference between you yourself have super special powers above and beyond, a reality warper, and you have tools that you use to accomplish such things. There is a distinction between these two. Magic has nothing to do with anything. I bring this up because a lot of people posit that the Q are this, the tool users, not this, the energy beings. Now, there's not a huge amount of hard evidence for that. Most of the evidence in TNG and DS9 and Voyager for that boils down to how limited the QR. For all their statements about omnipotence and omniscience, they're neither, demonstrably. And they are, in many ways, just as limited as we are, except they have access to do certain things like matter-energy conversion and, you know, mind alteration and fun stuff like that. But they can only use their powers in, well, for lack of a better way to put it, in a limited fashion, which would imply tool use, right? Let me try and explain this with a terrible analogy. If you pull up Photoshop or whatever you use, I use Corel personally, and you make an image, you can make some incredible, fantastic, phenomenal stuff there. And it might seem like you have tremendous power to do so, but you don't. You have a tool which you can do to do that, right? If, well, okay, that's misleading terminology. Please forgive me. You aren't doing that. You are using a tool to do that. You are using a process within the system to accomplish that, a software. You do not literally have the ability to think of something and it's there on the image of the screen, right? That would be closer to what the energy beings tend to do, what the Q are presented as being capable of doing. In other words, if you were able to just reach into your computer mentally and immediately just whatever it is you're picturing would show up there, well, first of all, that would be awesome. Do you know how many pictures and games, and shows, and movies I could design if I could just think it and then put it into the machine directly. I'm telling you, Holodeck is going to be the greatest creative tool once I finish inventing it. You see the distinction, though, between the two. Now, what is this all relevant for? Well, 
many, many, many people theorize that Trelane is a Q. Now, he's never referenced again, ever. I just want to be clear about that. But remember that point I mentioned earlier? Everyone said, Gene, you can't just make Trelane again. Because even Gene himself mentioned it was Trelane. They were just doing Trelane. There's no, there's no speculation here. Everyone saw that he was just repeating Trelane in Encounter at Farpoint. Give him a new name, Q. There could be arguments that Trelane is a Q, and if Q is someone who uses instrumentation at an earlier part in his development, given the fact that he's a younger child, you could see how this theory of the Q using devices to accomplish what they do kind of comes into being. Now, this is at least three jumps in order to explain this one away, and that is a little bit flimsy, I'll admit. I don't buy it, even though I love the idea. <laughs> in short, I don't think it's intended at all, but I do actually really like the idea of them being really good at Photoshop rather than directly beaming thought into computer. My personal take on it. As always, I'm curious of your guys' thoughts and takes. And please forgive me for talking so much about the Q, but how can I avoid it? I mean, I've read Q Squared. I'll even rewrote a bit of Q Squared just as a fun bit of writing exercise to learn about writing. It's a fun thing you can do. You can just take an existing thing and then just try to reword it and rework it and learn about sentence structure and word usage and proper spacing and pacing. It's, it's a good little exercise. Anyways, so this leads to the first time Trelane does anything uh, bad. There needs to be a demonstration of my authority. So he beams Kirk off to Planet's soundstage and then back so that he can experience what the planet's actually like. This all, he also demonstrates a lack of understanding constantly. Obviously there's the time thing, but he has fire that produces no heat, brandy that has no flavor, and food that has no flavor. It's form, not substance. That tends to line up very much with what we understand of Trelane, but also the mentality of a kid, which is, of course, the overall point. Um, so they try to escape. Yeah, you know, he breaks the mirror. Oh, no. Actually, hang on. Let me rewind just a second here. There's this wonderful bit uh, where they just logic leap forward. It's got to be the mirror. I mean, right? It only makes sense that the mirror is the thing that is giving him all of his powers, even though... Really, there's nothing to indicate that other than the fact that he happens to hover around the mirror. He spends more time in the, in the early parts of the episode around the harpsichord than he does the mirror. It would be just as easy to presume it's the harpsichord. But no, it's the mirror. Logic leaps. I just had to point that out because the next logic leap they make is even stupider. Do you think the mirror is something that, you know, could be maintaining the atmosphere? No, it's much too small. What? That's your logic. Something that allows him to alter reality on a near-fundamental level. To Photoshop reality. Let's, let's actually... I'm going to start calling it that. This thing that allows Trelane to Photoshop reality is something that you think is not the thing that's maintaining the atmosphere bubble. Believe it or not, he's right on that one, too, although that is even more nonsense than the previous point. Anyways. Um, Yeoman Ross shows up at about this point in the episode. <sighs> I'm starting to wonder at which point I will actually stop bringing up Yeoman Rand. It just keeps coming up. This was a, a, a role written for Yeoman Rand. But then they had to have yet another new Yeoman. I'm, I'm starting to wonder in-universe what the heck is happening to require Kirk to constantly cycle in new Yeoman. Do I want to know? Is that is this what the Enterprise is actually fueled by? Is Scotty just down there shoveling yeomans into the thing as quickly as he can? Come on! I, I made more power! Ah. 
I, I so he breaks the mirror. Sulu snarks. I love his thing. Isn't this much better? Uh, 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 what's what's the word he uses? Isn't this much better decor or something like that? And Sulu's response: No. I, I love the snark there. Sulu continues to be a good snarker. It's it's a weird thing. I never really thought of that as a character trait for him, but it's basically the only character trait he's had so far in season one. Because none of the characters have really had a lot of characterization other than the big three, which is also leading to some ego problems on that front. Again, building up. Don't 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 forget it all. Anywho, <clears throat> so they have the duel. Trelane, this is right before he breaks the mirror. And Trelane doesn't shoot to kill. He insists on first shot, but then he shoots into the air. Then Kirk shoots the mirror. And that pisses Trelane off. Are you paying attention? Because so far Trelane has not been malicious or malevolent. That's an important and key distinction and something that really does need to be hammered in. Because Trelane is not a bad guy. He is the antagonist, and he's absolutely an obstacle to be defeated, and he is absolutely a problem. But this is not a malevolence. This is not some evil entity who is trying to extract horror. It's a kid. This is the praise I really give to William Campbell's performance. It's really hard. If you tell an actor to play a child, they won't. They, they will be like, and they, they just they don't know how to do that. William Campbell is playing an adult who never grew up, which is a key distinction and absolutely nails the specifics of how this role needs to be. An adult who has never grown up understands form, not substance. So they try to escape. He comes back. You'll notice, uh, you'll notice Kirk once again, by the way, is not the first or second time he's done this. He willingly says, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'll stay behind. You get out of here. Okay, that's cool. You'll notice the bargain Kirk makes. Think about this for a second. If Kirk successfully defeats Trelane, well, then he's stuck on a planet where he's slowly going to suffocate or dehydrate to death or whatever. So he's dead. If he dies to Trelane, then he's dead. Interesting to think about. He didn't really have an out this time. He just was willing to sacrifice himself for his crew. I only point this out because it's once again one of those interesting things and helps to really show, show a, a light on Kirk's overall command approach. He is, as my sister would put it, too self-sacrificing. Now, being self-sacrificing is usually perceived as a good thing by modern culture and most human culture, really. You know, I give of myself for others. Cool. But being too self-sacrificing can lead to bad things. Kirk willing to lay himself his life down for the sake of his ship is all fine and good, but can lead to very horrible things, especially since that means the ship and the Federation and reality are now absent Kirk. And think about that for a second. I don't mean to stroke the man's ego, I just went on that whole rant earlier about Shatner, but honestly, think about what would happen if Kirk just died in this episode. Picture all the events that come after this one, and how they would be changed in the absence of a James T. Kirk. That's a hell of a what-if, isn't it? That's a sea change right there. Just interesting to think about. So, he sacrifices himself, he does the big thing, I'm ready, I'm ready to fight. This, uh, 
this is really, really hammering in exactly how not evil Trelane is. I know that sounds strange, but he does the trial and he's like, Ah, oh, magnificent! I actually feel real anger! He's so excited about this, and he's talking to Kirk about executing him. And now I want you to picture something. I want you to picture playing on the playground with other kids, and you're playing judge, or whatever. I don't know why you'd play that, but, I mean, I used to play with economics, so what the hell do I know? So, you're playing judge. It's like, okay, uh, I need to execute you because you, you've committed a crime. Right, okay, guilty, excellent. And you're just chatting about it. You're not actually going to kill him. You don't want to kill your buddy, right? I mean, this isn't someone who's your close friend, but this is someone you play with on the playground, right? You're just having fun with it, and that is the exact mentality and emotion that's gotten across by Mr. Campbell's amazing performance here. He's just chatting with another kid on the playground about this game, and then Kirk starts talking up the, the hunt thing, and he's like, oh, that sounds like fun. I've never played that game before. And as soon as you adjust that angle, all of this just lines up perfectly. Because the whole point of the, of the episode is that he doesn't understand, and I know I keep hammering that point in, and so he has no concept, concept of consequence. The original writer, uh, Paul Schneider, originally wrote this with the intent, a child playing at war. That was the sentence that led to this. And he wanted this and to lead into a whole thing about you know the morality of that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then they had to have a climax, so someone suggested the, the hunt, you know. But you'll notice even during the hunt, there's this bit where Kirk swings at him, a swing that is clearly intended to kill. Trelane just is like, oh, good job, you hit me, that's one to you. He's congratulatory of Kirk over this. He's having fun. Kid, playground. So, Trelane continues to play his game with him until finally he's like, at last, I have finally won, but this is so much fun. This is when his parents finally show up and put a kibosh on everything. Uh, but actually, just before that, excuse me, just before that, Kirk gives a wonderful speech. Let's go ahead and finally bring up the elephant in the room. No, not the one from Shore Leave. The one from Charlie X. What is the difference between Charlie and Trelane? Now, anyone will tell you there's many differences there. Charlie was a teenager who was basically absent of stimuli. So he was one step away from being feral with no real proper understanding of social interactions and super awkward and going through massive emotional turmoil and trauma at a time when his body was going through puberty. So that's all, that's Charlie. Trelane is an adult who never grew up. He is someone who understands things and concepts and can communicate and portray himself, but does so from a perspective that is inaccurate. He is fully eloquent in the opposite of Charlie, but he also speaks of things that he does not understand. He does so with absolute confidence, just like I do. Wait, but the point... <laughs> Gotta make fun of myself. The point is the way he portrays himself is one of someone who thinks he knows what's going on, but ultimately is free, freely admits that he doesn't when it comes up, and then is wanting to learn and change, whereas Charlie was just kind of this, you know, this ranting teenager. Now, I don't mean to dismiss Charlie, but I bring all of this up because why is it Trelane that everyone compared Q to over an Encounter at Farpoint, not Charlie? 
Why is Trelane one of the most commonly cited and referenced of the various godlike entities, of which there's like seven in TOS? Why is Trelane the big one? He only shows up once. This is it, right here. He is never referenced again. Why is it not the Metrons? Why don't people bring up Charlie? Although he was brought up in that side story. Why don't people bring up um, uh, the Gorgon? I can't remember his actual name. Or parentheses, asterisk, parentheses. I don't remember its name either. Right? There are plenty of these kind of beings throughout the course of TOS, but Trelane's the one that really had that stamp on our memory. I think it's because of the unique combination of circumstances of this precise and nuanced portrayal of the adult who never grew up by an excellent actor who took his job damn seriously. What do you think? I'm actually quite curious. As always, I love discussing history and the nature of this. I suppose I should move on, because Steve, the next thing that happens, you, uh, this is why I want to bring up Charlie here. Kirk was able to establish a degree of dominance over Charlie simply by being an adult. People can and do react to authority, even if they have power over that authority. That, that is a true thing. So Kirk was the father figure to Charlie, and then slowly lost control until they had to pull the plug, basically. Kirk doesn't do that at all this whole episode, right up until the end. You need to be taught a lot of things. You don't understand anything, do you? There's almost a, a like a... I don't want to say... He's obviously angry. He's obviously upset. But there's just, there's just a hint of pity as he says that you don't understand anything, do you? Takes the sword, smacks it in half, and slaps him twice in the face. Like, what's wrong with you? You need to be taught things. And Trelane starts to go into a tantrum, which probably would have gone badly until his parents show up. The father, played by the Guardian of Forever, and a bunch of other characters. The mother, played by uh, the computer, and Isis, and Atholian, and uh, Philena, I think. She, both of them are semi-recurring actors, is kind of the point I'm trying to make here. And both of them just kind of lay it out, like, yeah, he's a kid, and he wasn't supposed to get away, and we're sorry about this, we'll maintain this. Peace. But you'll notice one other interesting thing. Trelane acts completely different to his parents than he did the whole rest of the episode. He actually kind of adds this thing, I, I got this, I would have got him, I would have. And he just adds just a little bit of that kind of inflection into how he talks, making himself actually seem childlike instead of simply someone who is lacking growth and understanding. It's, it's a nice little nuance there, and once again, adds to the presentation. I really like this episode, if it's not obvious. Uh, this might actually be my favorite episode to date. No, I'm going to take that back. I don't know why I said that, because I forgot about the other two amazing episodes. This will be the number three slot for right now. Either way, I hope, as always, that you have enjoyed. I'll see you next time.